so here's what we're going to do today. We're continuing our series on the five solas of the Reformation. Man, um, if you can't tell, I really like theology. Um, and uh, so as we're there, I'm going to have you all turn to Romans 5, and I'm just going to kind of review a little bit what we've been teaching on. Um, when we talk about the five solas, some people are like, what solas? What, what, in the, what is that? Um, it's because originally these were written in Latin, and they were sola fide, uh, sola deo gratia. The, you don't have to remember those. That's okay, because we don't speak Latin. In English, the five solas, and I just lost my notes. In English, the five solas are salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. Make sense? Christ alone, glory of God alone. Everybody's with me on that, right? So the reason why we're going through these, some people are like, oh man, are these doctrines that were made up in the Reformation? Well, no, no, no. These uh, are doctrines, and like many of the creeds and confessions, these are doctrines that have always been a part of Christian belief, revealed in Scripture. They're a key part of what we've always believed. And yet, as error has occurred, key theological language has come about to counter the error and clarify what we believe. And so this is important anytime we're talking about doctrine. While the doctrine itself is not inspired by God, it is based on God's revelation in Scripture. And with doctrine, what we're doing is clearly explaining it in terms of theology to counter error. Everybody with me? Here's the other thing. It's not just to counter error. Part of what we're doing here is giving God's glory for his greatness and edifying the saints. It's a cool thing. Um, so, uh, anybody remember some of the things we've covered so far in this series on First Sundays? What are some of the solas or some of the alones we've covered? Glad you guys are listening. Uh, salvation yeah. by grace alone. By grace alone. All right, cool. Any others? Salvation through faith alone. Through faith alone. Cool. All right. Um, we have hinted uh, at the whole doctrine of by grace alone. Uh, and by the way, when we're... Sorry, you guys, I'm going to have to teach from my phone because my iPad died, so your grace is appreciated. Um, Jesus gave me grace, so you better too. Um, so here's what we're doing then. If you can understand this, that when we say salvation is by grace alone, what we mean is by grace and not merit. When we say it's by faith alone, it means by faith and not works. When we mean Scripture alone, we mean the authority of Scripture is supreme, not church tradition or church anything. There might be value in tradition and other things, but it is, it's not authoritative. Scripture stands alone in its authority. When we say in Christ alone, we're referring to salvation being in Him alone. That there is no one else that can bring us to the Father, no one else that can provide salvation truly except for Christ Himself. Right? This, by the way, um, is just really, really huge and central to Christianity. What I'd like to do is talk about three different views, just to set the stage here. Three different views of salvation. Uh, the first is what we would call religious pluralism. Religious pluralism is the belief that other religions, uh, or perhaps all religions, are equally valid for salvation. Um, this is rank error, right? Um, both from a very basic epistemological and philosophical view, we can say, hey, you know, this belief is mutually exclusive from this other belief. They can't both be equally true, right? 
You know, we can't say that a belief that says that the only way to salvation is in Christ is equal to one where you just kind of hope that your existence snuffs out into nothingness. Like, those are not, those are mutually exclusive. They don't go together. They can't be equally true, right? So, outright religious pluralism is pretty easy to reject, not just from Scripture, but just logically, right? The second, and unfortunately growing in popularity, is what we would call religious inclusivism. And it's the belief that while salvation is by Christ, that he has atoned for sin, it's the belief that somehow people from another religion, even though they don't repent and believe in Jesus, will somehow get the benefits of atonement. Um, This is also false. All of the teaching of Scripture is like, hey, you have to be in Christ. You have to repent of your sin and believe in Jesus' atoning death and resurrection. Like that's Romans 10.9. Make him your Lord among many, many other things. So inclusivism gets ruled out, but I will tell you, this keeps popping up. Um, And so I'll be in conversations with somebody that'll say, I just don't think that a loving God would send people to hell that seem like really nice people. And I'm like, well, we have a loving God. He is very gracious and loving. He has provided a way of salvation, and he's also just, and he's not just going to let you sneak by with anything. Because he's provided a way. And we're going to talk more about why this is important. So, the last and the biblically accurate view of salvation is what we would call exclusivism. And the easiest way is just to quote it here in, uh, in Acts 4.12. It says that there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Um, it's always nice that like the biblical doctrine you can just quote scripture on. Like, Jesus is the only way. Cool, we're ready to read on. So let's open up to Romans 5. And Romans 5 is going to be kind of our anchor text. This is obviously something that is taught throughout Scripture, this salvation in Christ alone. Romans 5 is going to be our anchor. We're going to go to some other places. But you're going to see Romans 5 is kind of important. So I'm going to pray and we're going to jump into it. Um, Father God, I want to thank you for this chance to fellowship with our church family. Um, Thank you for the worship today. Thank you that, um, though my iPad is not working, I have a wonderful backup on my phone. Um, God, I ask that you would be with us today. We recognize that you are already present, because as your saints come together, the Holy Spirit is in our midst. Uh, But Lord, I also want to ask that, I just want to say, you are welcomed here. Um, So God, may you be glorified in this time. Illuminate the Word of God to us, that it would be clear. By your Holy Spirit, may we understand it well. Anoint me as I speak, that I would speak only according to your will and not my own or anything else. May my will actually be aligned to yours in speaking. And then, Lord, convict us in areas where we are missing. Reveal truth. Guide us in all truth. And then be glorified as we respond in worship just by seeing what you have done. Uh, We ask all this in your name. Amen. So Romans 5, I'm going to begin in verse 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump down. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. A little side note, we're kind of seeing some of the other, you know, grace alone, faith alone popping up in here. You will notice that many, many times they are mentioned together, especially in Paul's writing. And so he's saying, hey, we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
through him we have also obtained access by faith to his grace which we stand we rejoice in the hope of glory he's just kind of setting up salvation here and mentioning hey guys by the way this is all in christ good news paul is reminding us of the wonder of salvation we're going to jump on down to chapter 12 because in or not in chapter 12 verse 12 because in verse 12 Paul gets a little bit into why salvation has to be specifically in Christ. So in verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted when there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So that's a theologically dense passage, by the way. There's some of you reading it and saying like, okay, my head hurts a little bit. Um, I'm going to unpack this a little bit. Who, let me just ask, how many people bring sin into the world according to Romans 5.12? How, how many did it take? One. Who is he referring to here? Adam. And he's saying, with no punches pulled, he's saying, hey, Adam really ruined this, guys. Adam disobeyed God and in so doing brought death and sin into the world. Really quick, where is our ancestry to be traced to? Ultimately, it's traced back to Adam. And just, we could get into some other side notes, but ultimately, like, Adam is, was our head, right? He, he was our representative. There's this whole concept of federal headship we can get into another time, but, like, he, he kind of ruined it all. And in so doing, we were, we were under Adam. His representation, and not to mention we've all sinned individually ourselves, but he's messed this up. Can I just make a note, though? At the end of verse 14, it says, The transgression of Adam who was a type of the one who has to come. What is he referring to when he says type of the one who has to come? Feel free to speculate. If you're theologically in error, I'll just smack it down and call you a heretic. No problem. I'll be nicer than that. Yeah. So there's this, it's this foreshadowing in Christ. He's like, okay, so just as we were all under Adam, and he is a type of him who is to come, it sounds like there is some reference to some hope that we could get adopted into some other family. Everybody following? Okay, more on that. We're going to read on. It says, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through the one man's trespass, that's Adam's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. You guys see this very clear, clear, clear parallel that's being drawn here. Or maybe better than a parallel, a contrast. You have Adam that sinned and brought death and more sin, and we sin more after, and then you have Christ who brings this free gift. Cool? He's just drawing this clear distinction, and he's kind of, he's kind of showing that, like, hey, they're, they're doing the same kind of thing, but in completely opposite ways. Cool? Reading on. Verse 17. 
For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. That is the gospel. Everybody following on this? He's like, if Adam could screw it up with one sin, so Christ with his righteousness can make it right again. If one man can screw it up, one man can make it right. Everybody following me? But as, you would, as we kind of see, we can kind of jump in. The one man who's going to make it right, what's going to have to be unique about him? He's going to have to be perfect, right? Yes. I like it when we have reformers who are not afraid to just say, mm. all right, um, he's going to have to be perfect. So if he's going to have to be perfect, how is he going to be perfect? Because like, I'm not perfect, Right? None of us are perfect. I like most of you a lot. I like all of you. <laughs> like, what? I really do like all of you a lot. I'm serious. I just wanted to make a joke. How, how, how was this one person going to be perfect? He's got to be God. Well, he's got to be man to be head over mankind, but he's also got to be God to be perfect. So something big had to happen. Yeah? Cool. Let's read on. So if by the one man, or for, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass. That's interesting, by the way. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Man. I know that this is theologically dense. I was going to say versage. (laughs) Theologically dense scripture. But man, this is good news. Really, really good news. So if you can just kind of understand here, we're going to draw this parallel of what what Paul is doing here. And I'm just going to make a little chart here that in Adam, with with his act of disobedience, we have sin, trespass, condemnation, death, all the bad stuff. But in Christ, notice this very clear parallel he's drawing, that in Christ there is obedience, righteousness, grace, justification, and life. Now, if you want to just for a second think about the fact that we're addressing this whole thing of how salvation is in Christ alone. Now, if you can understand, well, we already, we already mentioned that, like, hey, this, this second Adam, as we call him, had to be perfect. He had to be fully man, but he also had to be fully God to be perfect, right? So... Already by default, when we start talking about salvation through any other means, if we're going to say that salvation is any other way but Christ, nobody, nobody else meets these qualifications, right? Muhammad does not meet the qualifications necessary. None of the prophets of Islam meet the qualifications necessary, right? A little side note... In, in, the, in the conception of Christ that is in the Jehovah's Witness faith, Jesus is not fully God and fully man. And so in that false belief, they don't have a Christ that saves because they don't have a Christ that meets the qualifications of both being fully God and fully man, right? Similar, like we could go through Muhammad, certainly we already mentioned, but um, Buddha doesn't offer anything like this. Um, in secular humanism, 
You still don't get it. It doesn't matter how great you are. You are still under sin. You are still under Adam. And the problem still is there. Christ is the only one set up here that meets the qualifications to pay our sin debt. So our our opportunity is either to be continue under Adam, which all of us are born under Adam, or to be under sin, or either under Adam and under sin, or under Christ through salvation in him. Everybody with me? Cool parallel? All right, good. Um, We're going to jump into the next section then. Here's the other interesting thing. So you can imagine if this is such a big deal, God had a plan for this that he's been working out. So just a quick note, you don't have to jump all the way back there, but anybody remember the first time there is a mention of a savior to come? Any guess? Or you can cheat and look over my shoulder. Genesis. When is that pronounced? When is this this prediction of the, the coming Messiah first mentioned? Well, yeah, but technically when he's cursing the serpent, but yeah, it's in the same general conversation. And he's saying, he's like, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent. He says, between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is a subtle, gentle reference to the fact that someone is coming, seed of woman, who is going to crush our enemy. Um, I just love that like the focus here already is like you have brought all this death and destruction into the world through your temptation and through Adam's sin. He's like, I'm, I'm sending somebody who's going to destroy you. I, it's, I like it. I just think it's really great. And so you can imagine, now a side note, we don't always pay enough attention to this. This is why genealogies matter so much in scripture. You guys have heard me mention this before, but it's why there's... There's some of these guys that you're like, why is this story in here? This is a really weird story of this person getting so-and-so pregnant. I, what? I mean, this is fine and all, but why is this here? And sometimes it seems really disturbing, by the way. It's because it's tracing this lineage to the Messiah. Yeah? Everybody with me on this? Joe gave me, like, big eyes, and I'm like, did I say something wrong? Like, sometimes I trust like the reformed theologians in the room to just in case I say something wrong. Um, so by the way, this is why we see this tracing of the genealogy from Eve to Seth to Noah to Shem, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David, Zerubbabel. And by the way, this is why the New Testament opens with a genealogy of Christ. Because we've got to trace this from the seed of woman to the Messiah. All right? And it's just a little side note. You'll note throughout the Old Testament, the enemy is consistently trying to work to disrupt this lineage. He always fails. God pulls out all the stops miraculously. Even with Abraham and Isaac, like God pulls out miracles to complete this. This is why the story of Ruth matters so much because the kinsman redeemer in Boaz is going to be the guy that helps carry on this line. I could go a long time. But can you just imagine, think about God right now who has from the foundations of the earth made this plan. He knew we were going to sin. He knew what was going to happen. And he has created this lineage that was going to lead all the way up to the Messiah. He has from all eternity, all time, been working this together. Can you imagine how offensive it is to him when we try to think we can get in from any other way? Right? This has been his big plan. There's only one who meets the qualifications and God's been doing the work to get him here. 
Cool. Reading on, by the way, uh, just a little side note. We could go into, we won't take too much time on this because I know I'm teaching some doctrine and I, I don't want to just, I'll give you the notes if you want to look more. But just from a prophecy perspective, all of the prophecy that Jesus fulfills, that he's born in Bethlehem, um, that he was going to come before the temple is destroyed, that he was going to be born of a virgin, all these things, like there was all this stuff, um, the, the, the stats on him fulfilling all these prophecies is, I think, what did the, uh, in the book Science Speaks, he says it was something like, the chance is one in 10 to the 17th power, that's like just ridiculous, ridiculous odds, right? Really wild. Reading on. So not only is, is this seed of woman thing that he's, that he's fulfilling, not only is he fulfilling prophecy, but the whole of Scripture is pointing to Christ. We have all these foreshadowings of Christ throughout the Old Testament. I just will go through the list. I'm going to send you the notes on these. But every little thing, God is showing that he's sending a redeemer. Right? The message of David coming and slaying Goliath is this nice little nod to the fact that like, hey, I'm sending Messiah eventually. David is this, David is nothing special. He's a regular man. He's whatever. But God uses him to complete his purpose just like Jesus is going to do this thing. Man, we could, he's always promising to dwell with his people. We have all this stuff where God just continually, jo, Jonah in the belly of the whale, there's all this stuff that's foreshadowing to Jesus. And so I have to just kind of look at this and say like, God, what you have done in bringing us our Savior my response should be to look upon this in worship. When I look about what God has done, and I should say, oh, this is huge. And so one of the things I say, if we try to think that salvation is going to be through our works, or if we're going to try to wink at it and say like, well, this person is going to make it to heaven even though they haven't accepted Jesus because they're pretty nice, and, or maybe they believe this thing and they're really sincere about it. Well, no, like, that's an offense to God. I should look at this and worship him and say like, whoa, God, you are so good. You are so powerful. You are so gracious. So if that's not enough for us, I just feel like it's notable. We should cite Acts 4.12 where the apostles are teaching and they said, hey, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be, must be saved. There's a reason for this statement. It's not just because Jesus was their favorite or he was a really cool guy. It's because he's fulfilling all this stuff we've talked about. It's because he's fully God and fully man and he is the only one that could pay that sin debt and raise from the dead. So similarly, because he is fully God and fully man, we have 1 Timothy 2.5 that says, but there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. If Jesus is going to be the mediator, he has to be fully God and fully man. If he's going to stand between man and God, he has to be fully God and fully man. Only he meets the qualifications. We can continue on in John 14.6. Jesus himself says that I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Yeah, even Jesus is bold enough to say, I'm the only way, guys. John 3, 36, John the Baptist says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not believe does not, shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You notice that like, this is being testified by many, like the apostles, John the Baptist, Jesus himself, the whole of Scripture in the Old and New Testament, everything pointing to Jesus. Reading on, we, uh, Galatians 2.15 mentions that we're not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So this rules out even those who would say, hey, God gave the, the Jews the Old Testament, they've got the law, maybe they'll just keep fulfilling that and they'll be okay and they'll make it to heaven that way. No, 
Side note, they never were getting to heaven by obeying the law. They were, they were coming to salvation through faith, right? So, like, don't think that there's any other way. And can you notice that, like, from every angle, from every testimony, the focus is on that the salvation is only in Christ. So I know that it's a common thing, especially in our culture, to start saying, like, ah, but what about those people who have never heard? Right? This is Romans 1 comes up here. The fact is God has revealed enough for them to start asking some really good questions. It's what we call general revelation. But man, this should put it on us to get the gospel to them. Because salvation is by no other name under heaven but Jesus. So that guy in a tribe in the 1040 window who has never heard the gospel, he needs it. Like, not only should I respond with worship, I should respond with, i got to get this to people. So, this is interesting because in Acts 17, when Paul is speaking to Greeks, and he is given this overview of the gospel where he goes through the creation and fall and redemption and restoration, and then he says this in verse 30, he says, The times of ignorance God has overlooked, but he commands all people everywhere to repent. So if I can just throw this out, this is, the, uh, this is the thing that God is asking for. I realize like we just shared a whole lot of doctrine, which I like, and I think you guys do too. Two things should happen when we hear the truth of God revealed. The one is that we should respond with worship and say, God, you're amazing. The second is in so much as we are ourselves in error, either in sin or disbelief, our response should be repentance so that we can worship. And so I have to tell you, there have been times where I've been kind of tempted to say like, oh, maybe that guy's going to make it in. No, man. Doesn't matter. The nicest, greatest person, all the wonderful stories about him, they are not in without Jesus. I have had to repent of my own wishy-washy doctrine at times. Right? And so I'm asking that we would, in our, we would ourselves just say, like, well, God, you are who you say you are. You have done what you said you, do, you have done. Salvation is in Christ alone. And I want to respond in worship. Um, I also want to encourage us, like, let's get the gospel out because it's pretty much huge. Um, I'm going to close in prayer, and we're going to fellowship a little more. We have a few announcements. Um, but could we just worship God for his greatness? Take some time as I pray and just say thank you. Um, Hey, buddy. Nice hug. Thanks. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you have done. (sighs) Father, we want to thank you for sending your son Jesus to pay our sin debt. And actually, as I'm saying that, that, those words seem so meager compared to what you have done. from, From the foundation of the earth, you have worked a plan that led all the way up to Jesus and even now is pointing both back to him and forward to when he comes to fully establish his kingdom. So God, we're, I don't know what to say other than like, thank you, God. Um, I also, as I'm praying, Lord, I want to make it clear that like, as you say, we are called to repent of our sin, believe in the atoning death and resurrection of Jesus. And so if there is some lack of clarity, if someone here has not done that yet, Lord, I ask that you would clearly reveal Jesus, draw them to him, that they would respond with repentance and faith. And they would know that Jesus really did die for everything we ever did wrong, 
and that he rose from the dead to give us new life, and then that they would respond with faith and worship. Oh, God, thank you for the mighty, mighty work you have done. Uh, receive glory as we continue in fellowship and as we continue in worship. In Christ's name, amen. Yes.